0: Welcome back to Currently with Curator, where I share my latest style obsessions, all of which you can access through my shopping community, Curator. I'm all about starting your year off with little luxuries to elevate your everyday, so I stocked our curated e-storefront with trendy accessories, chic home furnishings, and more that will make you feel so refreshed. As always, everything has my stamp of approval and is available for a very exclusive price. I know you're gonna love shopping with us, so I'm also giving climbing and heels listeners an additional twenty-five percent off your first purchase with code climb25, C L I M B 25. So what are you waiting for? Head to curator.com, that's C-U-R-A-T-E-U-R.com and get started today. Hi, everyone. I'm Rachel Zoe, and you're listening to Climbing in Heels. This show is all about celebrating the most extraordinary superwomen who will be sharing their incredible journeys to the top, all while staying glamorous, of course. Today, we're switching things up a bit. And instead of interviewing a guest about their journey to the top, I thought it would be a little bit interesting just because so many of you ask on my social and on the podcast, A lot of what we get is questions about my personal journey. So before I became, I don't know, the hundred things that I, I guess, have done, I was just a very small town girl from a suburb with a deep obsession with fashion and glamour. But through insanely hard work and lots of ups and downs, I became the person I always thought or could dream that I could be. So here's a little bit of my story, because I think it might it's a very long story, so it might take a few episodes to talk about my road and my producer. And you know, it's funny because she calls herself my producer, but she's really like my sister, not by blood. Anyway, so I'm going to introduce B1. The only. Mary Elizabeth. I mean, fancy meeting you here, Rachel Zoe. (laughs) Fancy meeting you. I also thought it could be cool. And I think, you know, a lot of people have been asking me on social and in person, sort of like how I kick off a new year. And I think this year of 2023 is a very specific year because we've all sort of been through so much. I don't know. I just feel like it's cool to sort of kick off together and um, and talk about, I don't know, life, year ahead, how we got here, all the things. All of the things. All of the things.
1: I mean, you're very good when we have our guests on about painting a good backstory for them and like getting to know a little bit about who they were before they became these incredible figures that we all know them to be. So
0: I'm gonna do the same to you. Nothing's off the table, I Emmy. Mean, I'm gonna spill all the tea from my last. This is gonna you be know. like,
1: I mean, rest in peace, Barbara Walters. I'm gonna do my best. <laughs> Here we go. So my first question to you is: When you were a young girl mm-hmm. growing up
0: mm-hmm.
1: in Jersey, mm-hmm. Short Hills, New Jersey, yep, what was your dream?
0: I was definitely a very wide-eyed kid. I was a very wide-eyed kid. I was. It's funny. I I look at my kids, and I they have so much sort of like confidence and candor and spontaneity and silliness and they're very comfortable with people. And I think when I think about myself I I kind of have these memories of me being this very insecure child, kind of shy, not so sure of myself. And then when I actually like look at pictures and think about like events and sort of certain things I was like this very outgoing silly kid. And I look at my kids and I just like very much remember like my dad, my mom and dad's like parties and stuff. And I would always be last one standing middle of dance floor. My dad throwing <laughs> Right. Like my my dad like throwing me up in the air and like, you know, then like pulling me down between his legs and on side to side. And then I remember when I finally got too big for him to do that. It was like a really sad day because I was such a daddy's girl. But, you know, I, I think that I was I was I was very loved. And I think that is a gift that I only really recognize and appreciate now um, and have since sort of taught my kids that it's not a given to have a very loving family. And um, I can honestly say with full gratitude, by the way, that there was never a time in my life, even in my adolescent years, when I like, you know, hated my parents and everyone around me that I didn't feel loved. And I so I would say that I had a very blessed, very loving childhood with parents that just hugged and kissed me to like the point where I would just be like, no, no more.
1: You were really fortunate. You were one of those kids who could have said like, I want to be a marine biologist. And no. your parents would have been like, go for yes. it. Yes. But you had this support, meaning your parents yes. were incredibly supportive of whatever you were going to be yeah. passionate about. It's very,
0: it's very funny because when I think about it, the one thing I really remember very clearly um, being, you know, my kids' ages now, like eight and eleven, or now, guys, is nine. But I very clearly remember being pulled into like spotlight roles a lot, whether it was at camp or in school. And quite frankly, I didn't have the confidence, you know. And I, which is funny because I so clearly remember my dad specifically just being like front and center, cheering me on, like that dad, right? And when I later, we, we can get to it later, but when I became a stylist, my dad said, you're on the wrong side of the camera. Yeah. And my dad always said that. And he, but I didn't, I wasn't like my kids now where they just get up on stage in front of a room of 200 people and don't even think about it. I was not like that. I was nervous. Crowds definitely scared me getting up in front of people. But I dreamed, honestly, I I really do remember always wanting beautiful things. And that is literally like, as young as I can remember being this wide eyed girl going to New York City, my parents taking us to Rockefeller Center, walking around looking at all the beautiful windows. I had this little like rabbit fur bunny jacket with a little (laughs) thing that I put my hands in and being dressed up. And I loved getting dressed up. And I loved looking at things. And I remember like, we used to make this joke. They used to be like, do you want to look in the windows? I was like, if I can't have it, I don't want to look. And that was always like hard for me. And I think that ended up being a big driving force for me to like want things in life. And um, yeah, so I think fashion wasn't a a career that I knew could be. So I really did. I I remember just wanting to be with people. And I knew at a very young age that I wasn't going to work a desk job. Yeah, I didn't know what that meant, but I knew that I wasn't doing that.
1: That was not your destiny. That was not in the cards for you. No. You clearly have had great taste since you were like a very small, young person. <laughs> but who would you say was the first person? And I wouldn't even – I would say to think outside of like family or yeah. friends. But yeah. who was the first third-party mm-hmm. person in your life to say to you, you have an eye. Mm-hmm. You have a talent mm-hmm. for – Fashion for styling, for putting together looks for editorial, whatever it was, were you doing? Who was the first person that kind of made you go, Oh, wait, I'm, I, I have some confidence in this now because I, I, I appreciate that person telling me I have what it takes or I have a gift. Well,
0: one thing I very clearly remember was my mom's best friend who has since passed from ovarian cancer, but she had boys. And she was a tough mom, right? And people were a little scared of her. And I was insecure about sort of my academic abilities, right? Because I didn't love to be a student. And she used to say to me, you're as smart as any one of these kids. I know it. I see it do what you want in your life just by like if you don't go to an ivy league school because all my parents friends kids went to these incredible schools yeah so i was always insecure about it and somehow or another my parents didn't really push that on me it was interesting it was sort of like i think because my parents are not conservative traditional type parents they didn't parent that way they didn't have that expectation in our life to like a B C D is what you how you live your life. I think my mom was such a um such a baller free spirit that was like in protests and like It's so
1: funny that you <laughs> saying this. And I have the pleasure of knowing your your parents for many years. But your parents are the greatest sort of parenting duo because I feel like your father is more traditional in yeah. the sense of routine. Yes. And what's important and Mm -hmm. getting a degree. And to the opposite end, your mom is like this bohemian, like, let's learn by doing, make mistakes, break every rule, pick yourself back up. So you really did have sort of a dynamic example of rules and structure, but the freedom to sort of play jazz in between that.
0: And I ask them that now because Raj and I are definitely parents that don't. We ask of our children that they do their absolute best, right? And and do your part, but we are definitely not. Oh my God, you got to be, right? What? Yeah. We're not those parents. We want our kids to be kids and and do their best. And when I look back at it, I realize that my parents were the same. And I asked my mom recently, like I said, I, I have no recollection of you like pushing me with grades. And she said, because we didn't, because she's like, I knew that you weren't that kind of kid and I knew that you were going to find your own path. And so there was in my career, because I didn't really know that I was going to be a stylist, but I would say fast forwarding to my very first person that I respected outside of my family that was like, you got something. It was Tommy Hilfiger for sure. Um, But I think prior to that, it was really just women that like I would find incredibly glamorous whether it was in the art world because my parents are very immersed in the art world my mom had a lot of glamorous friends there's a woman here in LA that I call my aunt Liz that had still has the most extraordinary style I worshipped her Um, she was one of my first sort of introductions to the caftan with long (laughs) hair and And you've never looked back no she was the (laughs) chicest and still is and so I think you know it does take someone outside of your family to tell you that you have something in order for you to actually even consider that there might be truth to it. Yeah. If that makes sense.
1: Totally. And I think the same is true, like on the other end of the spectrum. It's like getting constructive criticism from a family member or a friend, I feel like is always, I don't know, not watered down, but just like. Yeah. Maybe less impactful because I'm like, oh, my sister's just being like, hey, or she's just being whatever. But like in the opposite direction of like it takes those mentors to give you that confidence and compliment you and really empower you to work. It also works in the same vein when they give you constructive criticism because you're like, I'm going to do better next time or 100%. I'm going to be more aware of that of or I'm going to work harder to not have that happen. Or, 100%.
0: Yeah. So tell the Tommy Hilfiger story. i I'll tell I not know it,
1: but it's it's pretty incredible.
0: Tommy, I would say as clear as day, was the first person I will always give credit to and be grateful for, for pulling me out of my... Fearful shell. Because I went freelance when I was 25 years old and I had worked at a magazine for two years. I had been shaken up quite a bit there just because I worked for some really tough women. Yeah. Let's just say I got a lot of positive feedback outside of my workplace. And I think ultimately that probably. Pushed me a little bit, pulled right? you from. Yes, that correct. Place. I was like, there yeah. may be a world outside of where I am, so don't be scared. And I have to say that I think my parents, because when I told them that I was going to leave my steady job, you know, they said, "Go, like, go." You know, yeah. we're here to catch you if you fall. I'd like to note that I didn't use them, <laughs> but it is nice to know that they were there to catch me if I did fall. But I, but I will say this. Tommy Hilfiger called me into his office. I had been working with his brother Andy, who had been working with like JLo and like a lot of this sort of young pop stars and actors of the time doing Tommy Denham. Right. And so I would see Andy all the time. And I think Andy told Tommy about me. And Tommy had a huge ad campaign coming up where he spent exorbitant amounts of marketing budget and all these things that I clearly had never done or never certainly done on my own. I had maybe assisted somebody on a job like this. And he called me into his office and I walked in. I was terrified as 25. And I. he said, so I have this ad campaign coming up we're going to recreate the white house in california we're also going to do the first week in austin texas with these like eight young actors and at the time it was like the biggest actors it was like elijah wood elijah wood elijah wood uh kadada jones it was um josh hartnett it was jordana brewster it was oh yeah swoon is right and um all these incredible kids and he said, you're going to lead it, and it's a two-week job, and the first week's in Austin, and the second week is in L.A. We're going to reconstruct the White House in Griffith Park by oh, the Observatory, oh my God. and there's going to be about 20 supermodels, male and female. And I literally just sat there, like, silent, and I was like... I, like, you I, have the wrong girl? <laughs> uh, yeah, like, I was literally like, I don't... This isn't... This is too big for me. It's like, you can do it. I, I know you yeah. can do it. And... I don't know why he thought I could do it. I don't know why he took that bet on me. I don't know. But I went, I was terrified. I probably had four panic attacks over the course of two weeks. Um, But I did it. And it was, and I came home and I just remember feeling like I literally had been born again. It was sort of like, okay. I cannot actually believe I did that. You know they and were it, happy
1: with my yeah, work, and the yeah.
0: like, images were just who insane. Sh- do you remember who the photographer? Yeah, was? Who shot the it? director was a man called Peter Arnell. Okay. Um, he directed. He was one of the biggest directors of the time, and um, it was terrifying. It was literally terrifying. But I have to tell you that I remained terrified. Different, but I remained that same terrified little girl. For probably almost 10 years. Really? Yeah. Because for me, it was always the driver of my success. It was sort of like, if I didn't have butterflies, if I didn't question everything I did, if it didn't keep me awake at night with excitement, then I wasn't going to do a good job or it wasn't. It was sort of like, as a stylist, when you're in those positions in those days, when there was insane amounts of money on my back and I was making the final calls. And when you have people like Tommy and you have these massive directors or, you know, when I went off with Brad Pitt to Prague for two weeks and shot with Juan Karwai and shot with, um, you know, Mario Testino and Stephen Klein and the stakes are so high. yeah that as a young person, you're like, oh my God, if this, if I fuck this up, it's me. right? And that fear for me was a real driver to always give 10,000% to everything I did. And it was sort of like, if they needed 20 options, I had 100. And I have to tell you that it wasn't wasted because I would say that 70% of the time, we ended up flipping directions and needing whatever it was that I brought. It made more work for me. It made more work for my team. It was more schlepping. It was more work. It was more everything, but like I didn't care, yeah, you know? And so I think, I don't know. I think it was that training that just stayed with me forever. And I think that, I think that that fear and that sort of need, to succeed for myself and not let people down was ultimately the thing that drove me throughout my whole styling career. Yeah. Most of my career. There's nothing worse than going to a doctor's appointment expecting to be the center of attention and then your doctor seems like they have better things to do and clearly better places to be. Instead of listening to you intently and asking how you actually feel and helping you along, the doctor is actually looking at the clock. On ZocDoc, you'll find quality doctors who focus on you, listen to you, and prioritize your care. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed Take your insurance and are available when you need them and treat almost every condition under the sun. When you're not feeling your best and just trying to hold it together, finding great care shouldn't take up all of your energy. That's where ZocDoc comes in. Using their free app that millions of users have come to rely on, you can find the right doctor that meets your needs and fits your schedule. Book an appointment with a few taps in their app and start feeling better faster with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com. Dot com slash zo and download Zocdoc app for free. Then find and book a top rated doctor today. Many are available within twenty four hours. That's Zocdoc z o c d o c dot com slash zo. Zocdoc dot com slash zo.
1: Okay, so you do this massive job for Tommy Hilfiger. You're blown away by yourself.
0: I you, don't know. I still you, was like, oh my God, are you, you okay? <laughs> like, did you, you sure you didn't? You fuck probably this up?
1: slept for two days straight yeah. after the job. Mm-hmm. So then you're freelance. Mm-hmm. How do you get your next job? Like we interviewed with when we talked to Marissa Hermer, she talked uh-huh. about literally thumbing through the phone book. Yeah. That was to crazy. Figure out uh-huh. how to get work. So so I would imagine in this time period, it's word of mouth. You've crushed it, it for Tommy's campaign. Yeah. And then maybe your phone rings a week later because someone has another job for you. Yeah. Or how did that work? How um, did you how did you build your client base as a twenty-five year old <laughs> in uh, New York City?
0: It was word of mouth. And at the time I was working primarily in music with pop stars. And what would happen in those days? Did is, that
1: come from the fashion magazine? You think, it or came, you just knew enough people in the
0: music industry? So I had done. Um, part of it was Tommy because there was a big connection in there. There right. was sort of like, like he was close with Tommy Matola. I was working with some of the artists. Tommy was the chairman of Sony, I believe, at the yes. time, and all of. you know, and there wasn't social media, let's be clear. So um, it was word of mouth. And so there were publicists, but also there was managers. And I was hired by the record label, by the managers of the talent. So what happened was I did a freelance job with one of my mentors at my old job. Her name is Haley Hill. And um, she took me in to help her on this job with Britney Spears. And was that that was hit me, baby, one did, more time. Yeah, it was wow. yeah. epic, and iconic, it was crazy
1: all of the things and for then, a millennial she, like me.
0: Truth. And then her, the manager there, her name was Sonia Muckle. Um, I still I ran into her a couple of years ago. She's awesome. Anyway, so Sonia had the Backstreet Boys and Brittany. And um, and then they all worked there was this management company called the Firm, and they hired me to do Enrique. And I ended up working with Enrique for several, several years, flying all over the place with him. The nicest guy ever. I styled the video where he met his wife, his now wife, Anna oh my Kronikova. gosh, I remember that. <laughs> and, um, and the Backstreet Boys. I mean, it's funny. I was just recently in St. Barts and they played a lot of Backstreet Boys. That's and every, so funny. And every time I was sitting there, Skylar looked at me and goes, did you style this video, mom? I'm like, yep. Sure did. Sure did. And sure did. And and so that was really like a time. It started with the Millennium album. You know, all I think about is white Prada suits. And uh, but you know, at the time, like I really was a control freak. I mean, because I'm not because I'm not now. Um, but you're but, worse now. I'm yeah, sure <laughs> for sure. But I it was very hard for me to delegate to assistants. So yeah. I really
1: No, I understand that. I mean, your name is on everything you do, so that's a tricky task,
0: I think, especially for a Virgo like you. But that also became a full-time job. And what, what happened was, in again, like in those days, I hate to sound like a matey, but like there was so much money put behind these artists and the videos and the album covers and the touring and everything yeah. else and the stylists and and the hair and the makeup and the whole thing. Well, in
1: that day, music videos were everything. The, it's everything. Like the marketing
0: tool Correct. for… The record, the artist, everything, right? Yeah. So I was shooting music videos with like Francis Lawrence and multiple. I mean, he did a huge chunk of Backstreet Boys videos and, you know, and I would be traveling with them for weeks and weeks at a time. It was a really um, surreal, incredible time. And, you know, those guys are – they're such good guys. And, you know, I mean, it really – I have to say was a real boot camp. Yeah. Because – No one really knows what goes on with stylists and styling and the process when you're working with musicians and bands Yeah, and how much goes into that. Yeah.
1: Well, because this is called Climbing in Heels and I think it's about like highlighting women's experiences, do you have a lot of stories where you were not treated well, where you were not treated?
0: um, I will say this. The Backstreet Boys treated me like a queen. They were the sweetest, especially AJ and Kevin um, I was probably closest with. Yeah. Um. They were all so sweet. Yeah. Enrique might be the nicest. I, I mean, for all the women obsessed with Enrique, <laughs> you should be because he might be the nicest person I've ever known. Double down on your crush. Yeah. <laughs> He's the sweetest, most low maintenance person ever. Baseball hat and hoodie makes him happy. It was never the guys I was working with in the. Like styling. It wasn't it was the talent. Correct. correct. It was not yeah. the talent. It was the high ups. And there was a lot of people that didn't treat me like I had a voice. Men in very powerful positions. Yeah. That if I would make a female talent look classy, they didn't like that. Right. They wanted more skin. sex. Sells. Correct. Yeah. They wanted more skin. They wanted more cleavage. They wanted more this. They so wanted- that's a
1: really hard place to be in. And yeah. if your yeah. talent mm-hmm. wants to go a certain direction and feels most confident in X, yep. and then reps and higher ups are saying we need mm-hmm. a shorter skirt, Correct. A tighter top, a yep. whatever. Yep. How did you, how did you sort of make everyone happy?
0: Um, I think the hardest job of a stylist is making everyone happy. Yeah. Um, because you do have to please the client. Um, the talent right. and you have to please the the other side. Sure. A, they're the ones paying you. Yep. Um, and B, you'll never get hired again. Right. <laughs> so, right. yeah. Um, but I would say that it's not until the artist is in a is in a higher position that they could call the shots. Yeah. But I did use my voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely did use my voice. Um, they didn't listen. Um and I specifically remember one incredible video of a very big artist, female. Um, we did this magically beautiful video, and it was romantic. It was sexy, just in a in a more kind of like like a cool way, right? Like it was definitely sexy. Like in a Rachel Zoe. <laughs> yeah, there was definitely <laughs> not overtly sexy, no. but enough to yeah. It was like she was wearing like attention. a man's shirt, or yeah. she was wearing like a beautiful like sort of transparent white dress kind of thing. Um, and we had to reshoot the whole video. What? Reshot the whole video. Really? Yes. Truth. Because it
1: wasn't sexy enough or because it was too – wasn't oh.
0: sexy enough. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. True story.
1: That's so much wasted money.
0: I know. They didn't care then. They didn't care. They didn't care then. We, wow. We reshot stuff all the time. We would reshoot videos that were like – Uh, like, you know, the thing with like a band, it's funny. It's not funny. But like, if one person is like going through like a breakup or like whatever, like everything gets canceled. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Like someone's sick, you have to redo everything. I mean, it's crazy. It was it was it was legitimately in hindsight, the most surreal insane time of my styling life, because the amount of money being thrown at the like industry and all of that like was so insane. And and you know, and again, like the stakes were so high. They was music videos were the form of communication, right? So
1: I mean it's it's a very pressure filled job. Not to mention, so your travel schedule when you're working like this, are you are you flying? I mean, you're flying back and forth All and you're going place. internationally, I would imagine. All over the place. It's, yeah.
0: I flew to Monaco with an artist for less than 24 hours one time for a big appearance. And I was very young and I hadn't really done too much of that yet. And I uh, I remember the security guards, I, I went to my room, I checked into my room and that's all I remembered because I must have, like, stayed up the whole plane, got there. You had there. been up for,
1: like, 48 hours. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I got there and I got to my room and I just remember putting my stuff on the bed and next thing I knew, security was, like, banging down my door. Like, I, I must have blacked out. Yeah. And she had to be, like, on stage. God. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm never working again. Like… This is it. Yeah. So, there was all kinds of stuff like that that happened and, you know, you just… Can't ever let them see you sweat. You just gotta, you just gotta figure it out. And there's no one to lean on.
1: Yeah, there's just
0: no one to lean on. You're really alone on an island as a stylist, and that's why some of these like styling duos, I really envy.
1: So I would love for you to talk a little bit about. So you went freelance, mm-hmm. and you're working with all of these music. Artists. I never
0: had a day off. By the way, like I'm sure you cause didn't. Cause to Roger, go back to your question, like to be I, fair to
1: Roger, he he says that about you all the time. Uh, he says in every interview we've ever done. The reason why Rachel's so successful is because Rachel worked harder than everybody else in her industry. I, period. I
0: didn't. I. I didn't ever. There was no no. Right. Because when you're freelance, when you say no, you realize you may never get. Like every decision to me was like, if you say no, this is someone else's job. Yeah. And you're never getting hired. And again. I have to support myself. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And I think that's the thing. And I remember when I went freelance, everyone was like you're so lucky. You can take vacation whenever you want. And I remember Raj and I looked at each other once. We're like, we haven't taken a vacation in like two years. Right. Because he was investment banking, which also when you're a young investment banker, you don't see the light of day for like two years. Work you to the bone.
1: Yeah. It's insane that schedule
0: too. True.
1: So how did you or when did you decide to get an agent or a manager to represent you as a stylist? And how does that work?
0: I think it was when I started to realize I couldn't handle it myself anymore. It was too much for me to stay on top of. Like I was working too much and too fast to even invoice people. So there was just like money lost. There was like, yeah. you know, things you, are falling through the cracks correct, at some point. Correct. Yeah. And so I had an agent that kind of almost like scouted me, I guess, and was like, you know, I he, Yeah. And that was actually funny enough when I switched to Rachel Zoe, because my maiden name, for those of you that don't know, my full name, birth given name, is Rachel Zoe Rosenzweig. And Rosenzweig was mispronounced, misspelled, miscredited. I can only imagine. Well, again, in those days, everything was a magazine credit, right? So they would Run out of letters. They were like, we can't fit her last name. (laughs) Um, It was too long of a name. So my first agent was literally like, let's just use your middle name. name. Let's just use your middle name because it's short. Yep. It's yours. (laughs) It's not a made up name. And you're getting married. Like I was engaged to Roger. So it was sort of like, I knew that Rosen's wife was gone no matter what. Right. Yeah. Cause even if I didn't get married, I would have dropped it because it really just was the bane of my existence. No offense, dad, grandpa. (laughs) you rest in peace grandpa yes but no
1: but no I get that (laughs) so you get an agent they tell you to change your name Mm -hmm. and then were you able to maintain the clients you had without the agent and take on new clients or was it like this whole now merger of this manager or slash agent was going to help you with the clients that were coming along with you
0: I'll be honest with you I don't I don't really have m- many situations where an agent brought me a client. Right. They were typically just managing
1: your my relationships correct,
0: essentially. Correct. Yeah. And and like chasing money and things like that. Um agents are tricky. A great one is a great one. Yeah. And um, a lot of them aren't. And so I would say that I did a shift when I moved to LA right. and I kind of realized that the music industry, while I loved my clients, was really hindering my creativity and obsession with fashion. Got it. And I wasn't creatively fulfilled anymore. As much money as I had, as much money as I was making, this crazy life I was living. Um, and I moved to LA and I... I I mean, to fast forward, to had a meeting with a publicist who's now a really big manager um, in 2003. Yeah. Um, with a woman named Nicole King, now Nicole King Salaka. And she looked at my portfolio. Yes, a portfolio, which is a digital. There book. was no Instagram Sorry, uh,
1: profile to uh, right. look at then.
0: Yeah. It was actually a uh, big. Portfolio, like a massive binder of work of that I had work. done, yeah, um, in print. And she met with me, and literally two weeks later, she said, "I'm in a bind, and one of my clients needs a dress for the Emmys because hers fell through, but she's on set and she doesn't have time for fittings." And cut two, that was Jennifer Garner, and she was working on Alias, and she was nominated for like her 18th award because it was one of the best shows ever.
1: It was so good, so
0: good, and and Bradley Cooper. Remember Bradley Cooper was yes, yes. Yes. It was a great show, great show. And I ended up dressing Jen Garner for the Emmys, and then the Globes, and then the Oscar. You know, and and that was like the Rachel Zoe skyrocket.
1: But I want to ask you, thinking about your early days in New York, starting from working at the magazine to having the gumption to go on your own and freelance to then word of mouth. You're styling all of these major, major music artists. What is one piece of advice you would, you as Rachel now would give that woman then going through it?
0: I would say, use your voice louder. I would say, don't be so scared um because there really is a fear I think when you're a young freelancer that every job is your last job you know so I kind of always worked like that um which I guess served me in the end because the thing I always say is like don't ever get complacent and I think complacency to me is your biggest enemy when it comes to your career yeah yeah Um, if you're not
1: uncomfortable, you're not
0: growing. It's true. Yeah. And that's how I feel. And I've, I've kind of always been that way. I would say that I missed a lot of things that mattered, you know, like, because I worked and I worked seven days a week. A Sunday was a Monday. It didn't, it didn't matter as someone's birthday, someone's wedding, someone's, and I missed really big things like weddings and funerals and baby showers and, you know, and I did. And, um, you know, in hindsight you go, Okay, was being on that ad job to place the proper white tank top on so-and-so more important than than the wedding that you uh, met? Your friend or a family member. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think that's interesting because I think, especially after COVID, I think people in general have a better boundary or or trying better to have a better work-life balance. But yeah, I think that's interesting to think of like telling younger Rachel to start setting those boundaries then. Yeah. Like maybe you wouldn't be have have such a difficulty with it even now. Yeah. Like if you would have said, I can forgo this one job yeah. and go to yeah. my friend's wedding. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. But I feel like in those days that honestly, I feel like I would have lost the job. Yeah. Whereas I feel like now. There's different rules. People have more leeway for people's personal okay, lives, correct. maybe. In those yeah. days there was no personal. There was life. like
1: show up or, or you or the yeah. or show up or shut down. Yeah.
0: Show up or shut down. Yeah. It's true. It's so true. Yeah.
1: Okay. What is one or two items in your closet that you had like you purchased during that time and you still have in love? Everything. Everything? Everything. So, everything. Like, really? What do you remember as being like, I just got a check mm-hmm. from doing this job. Mm-hmm. I have to pay my rent. Mm-hmm. I have to pay my bills. Mm-hmm. I'll maybe throw this
0: in savings, but I'm buying this. What was it? You know, the one thing I will say to that. You know, in full disclosure, I grew up in a great family. I never wanted for anything. I never, but I always approached my life as if I had nothing to fall back on. Yeah. So for me, I knew something was very clear, which was I was not going to ask anyone for money, whether it be my parents, whether it be Roger. I wanted to buy my own things with my money that I made. And that was something that... I just, it was, that was a thing for me. I never wanted to be the woman that married the rich guy and had him shop for me. Like it wasn't, that wasn't my thing. I can't
1: even imagine imagine a version of you that is like that to be be honest with you, yeah.
0: And in all fairness, my saving grace on my plane ride home was watching Pretty Woman with the biggest smile on my face. (laughs) (laughs) And that scene in the shop where she buys everything is just like the happiest moment. But I would say that buying my first Hermes bag in yeah. full disclosure, I remember walking into the store and walking out about 20 times Yeah, and literally going, yeah. don't. You're such an idiot. Yeah, Don't do this. Why would you? You know, it was like, but I have to tell you that everything in my career that I did that with and spent too much money on, I have now and still wear. I just of wore in St. Bart's probably 10 things that I've had for 20 years. I'm not joking. I love that. Like I could show you then and now. I mean, she's a
1: collector for real. Listen, a collector. guys,
0: spend more on the good stuff. You will have it and wear it forever.
1: Well, thank you for letting me listen to how you've climbed in heels. The first
0: this is, is it part one. This is part
1: one. There's We're so many do, parts. I mean, There's we so many we haven't. I mean, we just got to LA story wise. <laughs> oh my god. So. Everyone's going to have to stay tuned for chapters two, three, four. And
0: also, you guys, put your questions in if there's anything you want to know specifically, because as Mary said, this is a very long journey. <laughs> with many. She's many. got a lot to share. Thank you so much for listening to part one of my life slash career journey, where I am clearly still learning and growing every single day. Don't forget to write a review wherever you get your podcasts. I love reading them. And while you're at it, follow me on at Rachel Zoe and at Climbing In Heels Pod on Instagram for more updates on upcoming guests, episodes, and of course, all things Curator.